Hello and welcome. My name's Karen O'Connor and you're listening to the amazing Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. Thanks for joining us. Today, I've got Veronica Worley with me and I'm actually so excited to hear from her because I should have spoken to her a few weeks ago, but because of the cat bite and everything, I didn't. So she was generous enough to let me put it off. But Veronica works as a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, which is a bit of a mouthful, but she helps women overcome menopausal symptoms like bone loss, weight gain, hormone and mineral imbalance. I didn't even know bone loss in menopause was a thing. And that was one of the things that attracted me to you when I saw your profile. I went, oh, I need you to come and talk about that. But you, 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 quite scientific about the whole thing this isn't something that you've just you know you just kind of guess at or what because you use lab tests specific to every woman's complaint and then you work to correct the imbalances with food lifestyle changes maybe some supplements and you get the clients to run their own lab tests from home as well which is fascinating so that they can understand the root causes of their symptoms I think that's so cool I'm just reading a bit more of your thinking here. As as with many holistic practitioners, Veronica's path to helping others began when she herself started having many health issues a few years ago, including unbearable menopausal symptoms and fibroids. Doctors couldn't figure out the causes of symptoms and wanted to put her on hormone replacement therapy. And she was told she needed a hysterectomy. After discovering that a mineral imbalance was actually at the root of her fibroids, migraines, brain fog, hormonal imbalance, bone loss, depression and energy loss, she chose natural methods and worked to overcome her issues. Years of healthy eating didn't keep her from bone loss, which is an important part of balancing minerals. And you lost 30 pounds in the process. I'm trying to work out the kilos. That's about 12 kilos. That's all really incredible and that was one of the things when I was reading up about you those are the things that got me really interested because so many of us hit menopause and we've got to get this conversation out there because we've really got no idea what happens to our bodies during menopause what symptoms to expect and how we ourselves can manage it and support ourselves to overcome it so tell me a little bit about your journey let's start off with that well, we're how far back? No, <laughs> maybe not go back that far. No, I mean, you know, just um, I had I, I had terrible monthly menstruation, you know, fibroids and just terrible cramps and um, was just um, miserable, was just miserable. And it was really upon um, discovering functional medicine and realizing that the whole body works together. And so in functional medicine, What's different about functional medicine as opposed to conventional medicine is, is, is that we look at all the systems of the body. We try to figure out what exactly is going on as opposed to just, you know, menopausal symptoms or thyroid symptoms or something like that. And I, I realized, I began to realize that just my food wasn't eating it. Now, let me tell you, was, it wasn't correcting it. Now, let me tell you that food and what you eat is huge. It's huge. And it can actually calm a lot of people's symptoms just by getting the food and your nutrition correct. But in my case, it didn't. It was more than that. And it was upon discovering I had a lot of issues going on. I had parasites. I had adrenal dysfunction. I had hormone dysfunction. I I had bacterial infections, you know, and I even had mold exposure and all these other things that I'd been dealing with. 
But it was when I discovered mineral balancing was key to so many of those issues. And once I did a simple test and started getting my nutrition according to the mineral balancing, mind you, excuse me, and using supplementation and also lifestyle changes, that's when I began to notice a difference in how I felt and was able to reduce a lot of these other issues that I had. Well, because as you're talking there, I'm I'm going, yep, yep, I've had that, yep, I've had that one. Yeah. And the issue yeah. we've got over here is I'd like to eat organic food, but our soil in Australia in general is so poor. We don't get a lot yeah. of the basic minerals, <clears throat> vitamins and minerals that we need in the food. I think, as I recall, and it was a long time ago that I looked at this, there's very little zinc and very little selenium mm -hmm. and all those yeah. trace elements yeah. are not found in our soil. So we don't get them through our food. So we have to take supplements. But most people aren't even aware of that kind of thing. Right. And that can be very dangerous because people think that they're getting, if they're just relying on food and they're relying on getting all their minerals out of food where they're not going to get it. In fact, I did an experiment a few years ago when I first started on my health journey is I went a whole year without taking any supplements. And I was very careful making sure I get this many calcium rich foods and this many magnesium rich foods. It was hard work. And I was eating a lot of vitamins and minerals and foods. And I wasn't taking any supplementation, no multivitamin. And I tested myself before and then afterwards. And what do you think the difference was? I was lower. My minerals were lower. My nutrient levels were lower. And even though I was eating really, really healthy, I wasn't able to get enough. And so that proved to me that I have to take multivitamins and I have to take minerals and I have to take certain supplements according to what I needed. You know, and I was deficient. I was deficient in a whole handful of, of vitamins and minerals that I had to start supplementing. It was very, I don't recommend you do that, by the way. <laughs> Because, you know, I mean, I was eating healthy. I wasn't eating junk food. I wasn't eating processed food. I was eating whole foods and lots of vegetables. And I still did not, I mean, I still had difficulty getting everything in. I needed every day. And is that something to do with age? Is it, as we grow older, is it more difficult to digest things and get the nutrients we need? That's a good question. So there were other things. It wasn't just the soil. It wasn't just the lack of nutrients in the food I was eating. There's a lot of other things that were going on, right? So I, I was getting older. So when you get older, you don't absorb your food like you do. So I had to incorporate that into my uh, synopsis of, of what protocol I was going to do. Uh, we don't absorb our minerals. We don't absorb the nutrients the older we get. There's a lot of things that go on, things like that. There was also other things going on. So if you have a parasite, which I had, a parasite eats, eats your food, takes your food. So you're eating all of these things and you're being healthy and you think that you're healthy and you are. But if you have a bacterial infection, which feeds off of certain and bacterial infections are different. Some feed off of sugars. Most of them do like um, a fungal overgrowth, like candida will feed off the sugar that you eat and then you crave it, right? Bacterial infections are different. Parasites are different. They will cause cravings and all different kinds of cravings depending upon what kind they are. So I was feeding the parasite. And once I got rid of that parasite, then I was able to start absorbing my minerals a little bit better. It was very, and very fascinating. And I must it, it, say, most of the time you don't know you have these things. I didn't know I had a parasite. I didn't know that I had a bacterial infection, you know? It's funny you're saying that because I started with a naturopath a couple of months ago and she said, I've got a parasite. 
And I was taking these tablets and I ran out about a week ago. And I've noticed that since I've run out, I'm, I need sweet things. And I don't have a sweet tooth. So as you're talking, mm-hmm. I'm like, I need to go down to the health food shop and get another bottle of that stuff right now. Yeah, because yeah. obviously I haven't quite gotten rid of the parasite yet. Right. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes just, you have to. Just as an expert, I'm going to ask you this while I think on it. The most common vitamin deficiency in Australia is vitamin D because we stay mm-hmm. out of the sun. How does that impact you? Does it have an impact you uh, on you um, during menopause? Does it? How mm-hmm. does it impact you? Yeah, absolutely. Vitamin D is a very key mineral. Actually, vitamin D is a hormone. Actually, our body turns it into a hormone, and uh, that's how why it's so very important for menopause because it affects our estrogen it affects our hormones and affects our bone strength so having sufficient vitamin d is huge it's very important and also affects our calcium levels so you know if we don't have enough vitamin t d uh, vitamin d helps us absorb the calcium that we need so it also helps us absorb other vitamins and minerals that are key for menopausal symptoms and bone loss so yeah it's very important so why do we get bone loss during menopause? Bone loss is actually related to a lot of things, but, uh, oh boy, there's how much time do we have? No, it's related to, <laughs> to a lot of things, but um, a lot of times it, it can be due to the lack of estrogen. You know, the older we get, we lose our estrogen, becomes lower and lower, and we estrogen is very protective of our bones. It's very protective of our body. And so we lose that and we don't have uh, the, the sufficient amount of hormones in our body to help. Now, that doesn't mean we have to run out to the doctor and get on hormone replacement therapy. In fact, I don't recommend it because there's a lot of other complications, including cancer that can, can result. Uh, some women need it. And I sometimes will give that to women if, if they need it, but usually it's for a short amount of time couple of months to relieve symptoms and get their body back into bouncing back out of their issues, whatever they are. And there's many natural, natural ways to overcome the loss of estrogen we have as we go through menopause and we can sail into our older years just fine without having hormone replacement. So when we start getting the men- the perimenopausal symptoms, as we start getting the brain fog <laughs> and the heavy periods and as we start getting all that that stuff what is going on in our body to cause that right well a lot of it's due to lack of estrogen and and then hormone imbalance a lot of it is due to a lack of certain nutrients so the older we get like we mentioned earlier we don't absorb the food and men men is the same way with, with men we don't absorb the nutrients for our food like we should and just getting one less nutrient we need in our body from either lack of not eating healthy or not absorbing it could cause a whole cascade of mineral imbalance, just one. And, and we, and we think that that's simple and it is a simple thing, but it can, can be devastating for our body if that continues. So the person who grows up not eating vegetables and goes their whole life without vegetables and uh, that can cause all kinds of issues, which, by the way, builds up over time. And so menopausal symptoms are can all be related and, and brought in. Menopausal symptoms are associated with mineral imbalance. Now, that's not the only reason we have menopause symptoms. 
okay, we have menopause symptoms because of the hormones. We have menopause symptoms because of our age. We have menopause symptoms because of our environment, because of our food we eat. In fact, we can have menopause symptoms related solely on the food we eat, solely. So for instance, I get hot flashes every time I eat sugar. I don't normally eat sugar, but I get hot flashes when I get eat sugar and I don't normally have hot flashes, at least not anymore. <laughs> and so I know it's related to that. I also get hot flashes when I eat something that has preservatives in it or chemicals, like a processed food, you know, like a candy bar or something that has a lot of color, food coloring in it, or something that has preservatives. You know, you could put it on the, on the counter or on the shelf and it stays there for months and months and months, like Cheetos or something. And I don't really eat those foods very much, but you know, once in a while, there's the chips are open or whatever. And that gives me hot flashes. And so I've learned how to control my hot flashes and my menopausal symptoms with mineral balancing and with, uh, with my food. And exercise. As we get older, a lot of us have what we don't exercise like we used to. And that's, that's key in keeping menopause symptoms down too, is just getting enough exercise. Even simple things like 10 minutes here and there of walking or movement, you know. It's interesting you're saying that about the food you eat, because what you said about a woman who doesn't eat vegetables, that was my mum. She, yeah. the only vegetables she, eat, she ate were potatoes and peas. That was it. Oh, wow. And the only fruit she ate was grapefruit juice or, or oh my a, goodness. half a grapefruit. Like literally that she just ate meat and those other three things. Mm. And she, I moved, I'd already moved out of home when mum was going through menopause, but apparently she'd just pass out. She'd be standing at the cooker or just doing something yeah, and she'd yeah. just flake out on the floor. And mm -hmm. she died of pancreatic cancer when she was 62. So I can't even, she wasn't even around for me to ask mm -hmm. when I hit menopause, what was going to go, what was going to happen. Yeah. But mm -hmm. when I hit menopause, and the other thing that's coming up for me as you're talking is, when I started struggling with menopause symptoms and I didn't realise that that's what it was, I went to my doctor and she just gave me some antidepressants and told me I'll be okay in a few years. And did I want counselling mm -hmm. to help me because yeah. I could get free yeah. psychology right. through the government. Right. Why is it that this is seen as an alternative medicine? Why is it not part of the mainstream medicine? That's a very good question. And that's what many of us in the natural health field are asking. This should be, what we do should be mainstream. And I'll tell you, there's number one, there's one five letter word, money, right. right? Money. There's no money in what we do because vegetables, you can't put a patent, you can't put a patent on that. You can't put a patent on healthy food and whole foods, right? But you can put a patent on, on medication. And so a lot of these doctors also get kickbacks. You know, if they can get you on antidepressants or um, even hormone therapy or whatever, they get a kickback for that because they're, they're being, what, what a lot of doctors are being taught is through the pharmaceuticals. And so they don't, and bless their hearts, a lot of them don't know any better. And I, I love my doctors. <laughs> I work with doctors. So doctor, we need our doctors, but you know, when they are um, not educated in their medical school, you know, less than eight weeks of nutrition total, and uh, they don't have an understanding of how nutrition can actually help the body. And it's, it's a sad thing. 
because they don't know. They, they're they only taught that it's medication and antidepressants and things that can help, whatever the symptom is. And it doesn't have to be that way. Most, if not all, I can't say all, but I would say most issues can be eradicated just with food and supplementation. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I find it... Uh fascinating I suppose is the best word for it that traditional western medicine just looks at a single isolated issue it yeah. doesn't look at yeah. something else that's going in oh not often yeah. that's not fair that's generalization but it often looks at oh you've got a heavy period okay go on the the pill to try and even out your periods or we'll do yeah. a scan and there's nothing you can do but there's no there's no relating that back to the changes in the body that are causing it. It's like it treats yeah. the symptoms, not the actual right. cause. Yeah. And that's yeah. what you're doing, trying to treat the cause of the. Right. Yeah. Of the and, you know, a few, a few years ago, maybe, maybe a hundred years ago, maybe even just 50 years ago. I don't, I'm not even sure. Do you remember, or maybe you've heard or seen movies, I don't um, about how the family doctor would come to the home. You know, you'd, you'd call the doctor, he'd come to your home, and he'd um, talk to you about, what did you eat today? Well, you had the family doctor who knew everything about every every situation. And so somewhere down the line, medical school has then gotten to where there's specialization. So now doctors specialize, and so they only know their field. And even though we need those specialists, when, it's, when we're having an issue and we have need to have that specialist it's important however what that has stopped doing is that doctors only know their field and they don't know the whole realm of of how to heal and so i think that has really hurt us in the long run because they've come doctors have come to depend on their field they, they're their expert in their field and they know a lot about whatever but they don't know anything about this other field and so therefore you get a lot of medications that overlap and cause issues because you know what I'm saying and so you don't have the overall health of the body put in put first when it's with natural healing which really basically boils down to what you eat exercise stress reduction <laughs> sleep right these huge areas toxic exposures all these basic areas of life which are never addressed and that's what we do in functional medicine. So talking about sleep there, because that's something I've been trying to pin somebody to come and talk about sleep during menopause, because that is one of yeah. the biggest problems. We don't yeah. get a lot of deep sleep. And certainly I didn't. Mm -hmm. And I know a friend of mine said for 10 years, she didn't sleep more than four hours a night. She'd be awake yeah. at 2 a.m. just yeah. and couldn't get back to sleep. And that's not healthy and causes problems in itself. What are the causes of that, that mm -hmm. menopausal issue and how can we correct it? Yes, that's a huge one. And I deal a lot with sleep with women. And that's probably one of the first areas that I try to address because if you don't sleep, you can't heal very well. And so the goal is to have, get the body to feeling better. And if you can't sleep, it's, it's very difficult. Oh, there's, there's oodles of reasons. But in menopause, it, it really does boil down to estrogen. It boils down to lack of, of hormones. And so that's one of the first things we address with sleep is try to get the hormones balanced. So uh, I run a test on hormones. And, and having hormone dysregulation is not just about 
the age of the person, right? There could be other reasons. I've, I've seen young women, young women have hormone dysregulation that don't have a period or heaven forbid are going through menopause or have to have a hysterectomy or something. And so a hormone imbalance is not just an age related thing anymore, unfortunately. And actually the young women that I get are those that have the estrogen dominance. And so it's, it has to do with diet. It has to do with the environment. It has to do with your lifestyle. It has to do with stress. And I would say probably stress is, is probably the biggest thing with sleep with women as well as hormones. So they've got a stressful life or they've had a stressful life or they have some kind of a traumatic thing going on either now or in the past. And sometimes that traumatic event happened 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Maybe in their childhood it happened. But they're still, they have, they maintain this mental image of that or thought processes that keeps their body always on this stress. And so stress uh, we address stress by looking at um, the, the levels of their cortisol input and output. And uh, we try to address that also. But stress affects all the other hormones. It affects thyroid. It can, can create thyroid issues. It can create hormonal imbalance. It can create other endocrine, anything in the endocrine system it will work on against. And so sleep is huge. If a person is stressed out and their cortisol dysregulated, they can't sleep, they'll go to bed and their mind is wired, you know, or they'll fall asleep, but they don't stay asleep. And so that that's one thing. Another thing that we deal with is blood sugar, blood sugar dysregulation for sleep. So look at their food, what are they eating at bedtime? Are they eating too many carbohydrates, you know, too many things, I would say your mom would sound like blood sugar. If she fainted, she was probably having some kind of a blood sugar, lightheadedness feeling. So normally if a person wakes up between two and four, they say it's blood sugar and they say it's liver. So the liver is trying to process the amount of sugar. Now I'm not necessarily talking about sugar like from candy, but it's sugar from too many potatoes, too much pasta, too much cereal, too much bread in the sandwiches, the bagels, the snacky foods, the Cheetos. <laughs> yeah. And so what, you know, what do you, what do you eat at bedtime? So that's, that can be huge for sleep too. Just do you have wine at bedtime? Or do you have wine, too much alcohol during the day? That's huge. That works against blood sugar dysregulation or creates blood sugar dysregulation. So we look at all of these things. There's not really just one. There's not really just one thing that can affect sleep. There could be multiple things and including uh, things, stress, stressors that's going on inside the body. So if a person is having, say, infections and they're having some other issues going on inside the body, like thyroid dysregulation or parasites or something like that, or, or even a mold exposure or Lyme disease or something like that, then that can affect your sleep. So what we do in functional medicine is we try to figure out what is the root cause or causes and, and address that. And yes, at the same time, let's help that person sleep. Let's give them some melatonin. Let's help them get some blackout shades or curtains on their bedroom, you know, help them to limit their blue light exposure at night, try to turn off their TV at least an hour before and do calming exercises and all those things. Maybe give them some supplementation, HTP5 or GABA or nice relaxing things. But let's figure out why we're having sleep issues in the first place. So you've mentioned mold exposure a couple of times. Yes. What has mold got to do with it? 
Well, mold is another area where I've um, explored a lot just because I've had mold exposure and have really dealt with that in, in my own life uh, just recently, uh, I've said the past two years. But if a person is living in a home that has leaks or leaky roof or have, has mold at some point, there's, there's what's called mold illness. And so you get the mold spores that actually go into your lungs and into your body and begins to grow. And it causes all kinds of, all kinds of really bad things if it's not eradicated and dealt with. And so for me, thankfully, I was able to recognize it soon, right away and be able to begin working on that in my body. And it took me probably about a year, at least a year. And some people, it takes years. But uh, what you do is you have to, um, first of all, eliminate the mold uh, exposure, get rid of the mold in the home, uh, wherever it is, or the work environment or whatever it is. And mold can affect Every area of your body can affect your hormones, your stress, your adrenal. Usually people who have mold exposure or mold illness have extreme fatigue. They have a, a lot of anxiety and depression, suicidal. They can't sleep. They have a lot of respiratory stuff going on. They have a cough or they can't breathe very well. They feel um, anxious and they walk into a room and they can smell the mold. They have Skin sensitivities, the tag in the back of their shirt really bothers them, so they cut it off. They have chemical sensitivities. They can't stand candles or fragrance or perfumes or the, the sprays. And so it, it, can be, uh, it can be devastating for some people. Sorry, I'm just going through. Oh, yeah, I've got that one because we live in a tropical climate, so the place gets yeah. moldy a lot of the time and try yeah. and dry everything out. But there are three months of the year where it's just wet. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's just trying to deal with that because I know yeah. years ago I had an allergy test and the only thing I'm actually allergic to is black mold. So I'm very cautious, yeah. very aware of where the mold is because I know it impacts me. I get really bad sinusitis and I can't yeah. sleep properly and yeah, it's just, it's just not very nice. Yeah. But I didn't know it had an impact on your hormones as well. That's really fascinating. It can. Yes, it can. It can. It can cause, it can cause havoc. And it depends upon the kind of mold exposure, how much or how long you've had that exposure and what your environment is like now that you're living in. And it really, you know, it depends on so many factors. Yeah. So uh, you should... Um, probably have your home, if you suspect mold, have your home tested to see okay. if there isn't actually mold in there. If you're allergic to black mold, then I would say have your home tested and be very diligent about making sure that you are maybe dehumidifying the inside of your home, especially those three months out of the year. And just checking. You know, if you don't have any leaks then uh, or anything on the inside of your home, probably you're fine. We have mold outside all the time. We're exposed to mold. And even though that's not good, it's not going to harm us because a healthy person can eradicate the mold from our body. It's when we have it on the inside of our home and we're breathing it constantly, especially if we have other health issues going on, then our body can become compromised. But probably if you don't have it on the inside of your home, you're fine. You know, oh, you okay, are, cool. You know? <laughs> I mean, probably, you know. That's why just make sure the inside of your home doesn't have it and then deal with it if it does. And, you know, all of us have mold. So we just have to learn how to, <laughs> how how to, to live with it. Not yeah. Get it. Yeah, live with it with, on the outside, but not have it on the inside. So. 
Now, the other thing I want to go on to is how did you lose so much weight? And why did you lose so much weight? Because if you spent years and years on, on the dieting treadmill, on a diet, off a diet, yeah. on, how mm-hmm. did changing, not changing the way you eat, how did all this that you do with the vitamins and minerals and everything sort that out? Yeah, well, uh, let me before I get into that, let me just give you an example. So um, imagine you've just eaten a full meal. Oh, you're so good and you're so full and you just couldn't help yourself, but you ate probably a little too much and you're so full and you sit down, you watch TV, get ready to sit from the TV. And 15 or 20 minutes later, you find yourself going back to the kitchen or the pantry or the refrigerator. You open it up and you're looking for something else. Why is that? Why is that when you're so full and it was a delicious dinner and yet you find yourself going back looking for something else? Here in America, we have what's called, we're, we're, we are malnourished in America. We overeat, we eat too much, we've got extra weight, but we're malnourished because we're eating the wrong things. So what happened with that meal is that you ate too much of the wrong things and you didn't have the vitamins and minerals that your body wants and needs. So the reason, most of the reason we overeat is, and we gain weight is because we're not feeding our bodies the nutrients that it needs. And so we're going to keep looking throughout the day. Our body is looking for that, those nutrients. But what we do is we keep feeding it what's at hand, what's ever easy to eat or tasty, usually sugary because we like that, you know, or salty. But, you know, most people are going to chomp chomp on a cucumber, (laughs) right? (laughs) Or a pepper or something, And so our body is looking for that. And if you, and on the other hand, if you have a meal that's high in nutrients, lots of vegetables and salads and fresh whole, whole grains and grass-fed meats, you're going to feel not only satisfied, but you're not going to want anything else to eat the rest of the, the evening, right? And so for me, I was eating a lot of food, but I wasn't necessarily eating the right foods. And I was eating too much of one kind. So I, I did food sensitivity. Uh, that was one, probably the first place I started. So I started running a food sensitivity on myself every every six months. And I was absolutely shocked with my first food sensitivity test to realize that I had become sensitive to all these healthy foods. I was overeating healthy foods. And for me, it was spinach. I was eating lots of spinach. I mean, I was juicing spinach. I was eating spinach salads. I was snacking on spinach because I was growing it in my garden. I would eat a handful. I was putting it in stir fries and soups and I was eating lots and lots of spinach every day and I'd become sensitive to it along with other foods like cashews and avocados and artichokes and all these foods. And so once I stopped eating those foods and eliminated them for a period of time, I immediately dropped weight immediately. Like it's like this inflammation went down on my body. At the same time, I was also dealing with the parasite and the bacterial infection. And I was also dealing with some stress. So I was working on all of these areas of my life. So it was food sensitivity. It was dealing with these infections and it was dealing with lowering my stress and my adrenal dysfunction. And so losing weight is not just about one thing. Usually, usually there's more than one thing going on. And very seldom does losing, does having issues with weight have to do with what we eat and how much we exercise. If we have a hard time losing weight, it usually has to do with something else going on. And, yeah, and of course, overeating definitely makes a difference. We do gain weight, we, we overeat, you know. 
So that's that's really how I dropped the 30 pounds is that when I started checking my minerals and realizing that I was deficient in these minerals, my body wasn't getting what it needed. I started addressing that through supplementation of food and eliminating the foods that I had grown sensitive to. It was amazing. It was just amazing. My body was happy. It was feeling fed. <laughs> and how has it impacted you mentally and emotionally? Yeah. Yeah, I was having terrible brain fog. I mean, I was having all the menopausal symptoms. I had hot flashes, terrible hot flashes. You know, you know the kind. <laughs> terrible hot flashes and brain fog. And I, I could not finish my sentences. I could not retrieve the word. I would go into the room. Couldn't remember. I still do that sometimes. <laughs> I'm not sure that's all related to menopause, by the way. But, you know, just all the minutes I was having the anxiety and the irritability and I, I just did not like myself. You know, I just did not like myself and I was tired of being overweight and I was tired of having this brain fog where I couldn't think and put my words together, you know, and that that all slowly began to go away. How long did it take? I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> Let's see. I don't know that I could put a date, a date or a time on it, but I would say, I would say a year or two. I don't remember when I stopped having the brain fog. I do remember when I stopped having the fatigue. I do remember that because I had debilitating fatigue where I could not, I could not get going before noon every day. Now that a lot of that was related to my mold illness too. And that came a little bit later, but I do remember the fatigue and feeling very, very tired. And of course, I had a full-time job and I was overworking and that didn't help any. But I do remember um, being very fatigued. And when I stopped feeling so fatigued, I, I just was like one day I woke up, wow, I don't need my 10 cups of coffee today. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. What causes hot flashes? To me, and the reason I'm asking that is I, I tend to get them at night or I did touch yeah. wood kind of over it now, but it felt like an adrenaline rush to me. It was like, you know, from yeah. my heart out was, oh, and then I'd just lie there, throw the covers off like, oh, my God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they're awful. They're really, they're really awful. Well, hot flashes usually are narrowed down to hormone imbalance. Usually it's low estrogen. So you have low estrogen. So when you have low estrogen, you have hot flashes. However, it can also be a nutrient deficiency. So boron, boron usually is deficient when a person's having hot flashes. And also, uh, oh, I'll, I'll give you a tip on what to do when you're having a hot yes, flash. Yes, please. Okay. Yeah. It's called, it's a breathing exercise. Maybe you've heard of this. So when you start to feel the hot flash coming on, you know, you, you get that feeling to just feel it rising. And what you should do is immediately start taking very deep breaths. And hold it. Take a deep breath. Hold it for like a count of eight. And then release it slowly over and over and over. And that actually stops your hot flashes. Stops mine most of the time. You can just breathe through that hot flash. If you start to feel it, just breathe and breathe until that, it goes away. It's amazing. So wow. try it. I will do. I've been lucky enough not to get the daytime ones so much. I've had one or two, but yeah. my sister-in-law was was yeah. bad. And I know quite a lot of my friends, they'd have the fans yeah. sitting on the desk at work. 
<laughs> oh, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> oh, my heart goes out to you. But one of the things that one of the purposes behind this podcast is to not just reach out to other middle-aged women that are going through this, but the younger women need to know this as well. So that because forewarned is forearmed. And if we know that, okay, if I take care of myself now, it means that I can minimize my symptoms, manage them, do whatever else. And I can also know what symptoms to expect. So I don't go to the doctor going oh my god what's wrong with me because I've got no idea what's going on exactly and that kind of knowledge I feel is crucial for us to get out there and get the conversation going so that it becomes a similar conversation to puberty we're becoming more aware around puberty and it's becoming a more acceptable conversation but menopause is nowhere close to that yet and it needs to be because it's the other end of the puberty thing. It is. It is. And, you know, and it all starts when you're young. You know, if parents can start their children feeding them healthy, don't let them have that sugar. Don't let them have those Pop-Tarts and the fake food and start then and build in habits so that as the children grow up, then they want to eat healthy. And, you know, we all have our moments, of course, but, you know, they'll want to eat healthy. And so then they'll have healthy pregnancies uh, they all have healthy children, and then when they get into where they're having menopausal symptoms, they'll be able to handle it better. So it's really building a lifetime of health. Now, a mineral balancing, mineral balancing can be related to all. Um, mineral balancing can be associated with all menopause symptoms. So getting your minerals balanced is not just for older women. It's for younger women. It's for men. It's for all ages and it's for everybody. But mineral balancing is huge and it's, and it's not that expensive to have your, your minerals balanced. And once you get that mineral test, then you are able to look at not only what minerals are deficient, but what, what a mineral test does is that it also helps to tell us what, what is maybe bio unavailability. And so I'll give you an example, if I may. So an example is a woman, let's say a woman, could be a man, goes to the doctor with symptoms of a fracture or something. The doctor says, yep, you've got osteoporosis. I want you to go home and take 1,200 milligrams of calcium every single day and to do weight-bearing exercises. So weight-bearing exercises are good, but taking 1,200 milligrams of calcium is the worst thing she can do because... She without having her minerals balanced, because what happens is she will take calcium pills, but these minerals, but not taking these other minerals in you know, equivalent to that. And she builds up the calcium stores in her body. And then then what happens is the body. And so the body can't uh, can absorb it and put it in the bone where it belongs. So then I, so I get these women. They are they have osteoporosis. They have menopausal symptoms because they can't get the minerals into their bones and their body where it belongs because it's imbalanced. And so we look at the ratios and we look at the woman who has some high, she has like, for instance, calcium to, to make a long story short without being too scientific. If, if you have very, very, very high calcium, usually you have low other minerals. And that tells me that she doesn't have two, she has calcium, but it's not getting where it spawns. It's called biounavailable. And so when that happens, then the body looks 
can't get the calcium it needs, so it looks for other substances that are similar to calcium and usually ends up being metals. And lead displaces calcium. So the body will then begin to accumulate lead. Lead is in the air we breathe, it's in food we eat, it's in dishes, it's in substances we put on our face and our laundry, it's everywhere, just like all mammals are. But our body, instead of eliminating it, our body then accumulates it. So then we start having brain fog, we start having weight gain, we start having menopausal symptoms, not just from lead, but all these metals will do this to us. And so if we have a mineral imbalance, we have some, they're skewed, then the metals begin to accumulate, including mercury, including copper. Copper is the worst one, I would say, for menopause, menopausal symptoms. And most women have a copper imbalance because most of us have been on some form of birth control, especially the pill over the years, which causes copper toxicity. So, so getting a mineral balance is not, a mineral test is not just about balancing your minerals just to make sure you don't have bone loss. It's to make sure you don't have too many of these other substances in your body that's, that's causing heart disease and thyroid dysfunction and bone loss, as well as menopausal and estrogen issues. So how much it, does it cost to actually get the mineral test done? They the mineral test, <laughs> yeah. Now, with the mineral test, you know, it ranges, and then people charge different different prices for it depending upon what lead you go to. For me, it's only $135, and that's just for the test itself. That's, of course, not, not the fees to work with me, but it's a very inexpensive test, and I actually like to run it on almost every client because it's so informative, and, and it tells us so much about the body. And a lot of times I can probably tell the person what's going on before they even know, you know, so do you have, do you have your sugar cravings? Are you waking up at night? Are you, are you having heart arrhythmia? Are you having heart palpitations and not really trying to sleep? Well, this here tells me that you've got some issue going on. It's a very, very good test and it's very informative. So this mineral test is different to the blood test that you'd go when you go to your doctor. Yes, it is. So they mineral don't test for that? No. They do test for it, but they test for it via the blood. So uh, a hair this is called a hair test, and it takes hair samples from the back in the nape of your hair, about an inch and a half. And what that does, it tests for excretion of the minerals through the hair. It's soft tissue. And a hair is a soft tissue, believe it or not. And so it checks to see what minerals have accumulated in our soft tissue over the last three or four months. A blood test looks at just the last 24 hours, 24 to 48 hours. So it looks at, okay, if you've got calcium in your blood, it's looking at what if you eat just the last 24 hours, what did you eat? Did you eat, you know, did you eat a, a big milkshake and have some ice cream for dinner and the night before <laughs> or, or not? Or maybe you didn't, haven't eaten any calcium products for the last little bit, you know? And so it's going to look like you haven't or you're low in calcium. You know what I'm saying? So it's a much more thorough test. And I would say that you could ask your doctor for a mineral test and maybe some doctors will know about it and be able to help you with that. But for the most part, you need to find a functional medicine practitioner because that's a common test that we run to help people with a lot of their issues. Well, I think it's about time to wrap up now. Thank you so much, Veronica. So now you've given me a couple of things to put on the website. And one of them is, are your bones at risk quiz? Do you want to just talk us through that before we finish up? 
Sure, sure. Yes, I also have a, a, a quiz. Same thing for minerals. Are you, a, you know, think you might have a mineral loss? So basically, it's a quiz that it's a, about a 40-question quiz in which you can just simply assess yourself. And you could say, and you know, it's unprofessional, of course, if you're assessing yourself, but you just simply answer the questions and just get a feel for it. You think you might be at a loss of, of um, minerals. And also if you might be at, you know, might be having bone loss. So there's two things going on. You can check to see if you think uh, a mineral test might be good for you or um, if you're having some significant bone loss that needs to be addressed. Now, that's so cool. Thank you so much. And the other thing I said to you at the start, I did a bit of Facebook stalking, as I do before I meet somebody, but you had a challenge going on. You, you had a daily, was it a daily question or a daily comment? And it was really good. I really enjoyed them. They were really I'm so, great. I'm so glad. Yes, it was. You probably talked about my 12, day, my 12 hacks of hormones. For the holidays. That could have been it. Yeah, for the holidays. Yeah, yeah it was a holiday yeah. one. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. I did. That was I, fun. Yeah, it was. It was great. So I recommend that you connect with Veronica on Facebook because she's got some good things up there. And I will put the link to your Facebook and the link to your website. Yes. And the link to the two quizzes up on the web page that goes with this podcast and with this video so that everybody can see them. But thank you so much. That's kind of opened up a can of worms for me. I want to carry on talking. (laughs) So I'll have to do another one because i got more questions. (laughs) I'd love to do another one. Thank you. You've been a tremendous hostess. Oh, thank you. No, I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Veronica. Absolutely. Head on over to the website for more information about this episode and more information about my guests. And don't forget to subscribe. We'll love you forever. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you next week. Bye.